0: Welcome to Just a Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom to a teen girl. And I'm Rachel, a mentor to kids in foster care. So, Rachel, thanks for joining me tonight at House of Pod. We don't always get to record in the studio in
1: Denver, but it's great to have you here in the same city again as me. I know, it's wild to actually record in the same room, too. Um, But yeah, I mean... I think today we kind of just want to talk about, you know, 2020, which is, you know, the year that you became a foster parent, um, just ha- the progression of that and the progression of the podcast, just a special and like how that has changed views or opened our eyes.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a journey and we've both, I think, done a lot of growing. So
1: yeah, and now that we're face to face, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you started this year doing respite care. How do you feel respite care prepared you to be a foster parent? That's a great
0: question. So respite care, for anyone who might not know what it is, is when you do short-term foster care to relieve um, foster parents. So if a foster parent needs to go on vacation or something where they can't take the kid, you know, you can watch kids for up to a week at a time, but sometimes it'll just be a few days, sometimes even just for a night. yeah, it's just a really great way to give foster parents a break because a lot of times kids can't just like spend the night at another family member's house. You have to be certified for it. So starting out with respite care, I'm really glad that's how we started out, especially since we didn't have any kids before becoming foster parents. So doing respite care really kind of helped us see, okay, what are going to be some of those day-to-day challenges we're going to have as foster parents with my partner and I, um, and really helped us open up some conversations that we wouldn't have known we needed to have. And it was really great to have those conversations in a really low stakes environment when it's not a kid that's living with us, you know, indefinitely, but, you know, we just know it's for a few days. Um, And it kind of, I think, also let us know a little more like what to expect, especially not having been parents before. But I feel like even if we had been parents before, you know, dealing or not, I shouldn't say dealing, but, um, you know, being around kids who have oftentimes a large amounts of trauma is going to look very different than like, you know, having one of our nieces or nephews over for a night. Um,
1: so it kind of just gave us a gauge too of how that would be. So how would you say that your relationship with your partner, how did that change and what type of, because I, I imagine that, you know, parenting, you hadn't seen your partner as a parent and Mm -hmm. neither has your partner. So, Mm -hmm. um, did you ever find yourself in conflict of having different parent strategies?
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I would say too, we both knew that this isn't something that we could have been equipped to do before we did it. So at that time, Ben and I, we had been married seven years and I feel like we had really worked through a lot of our challenges and struggles as a couple and we had a really solid foundation. So I feel like if we hadn't had that, it definitely would have broken us and we wouldn't have been able to do it. And I think that's something that's pretty common with a lot of couples to do foster parenting because it is a huge, huge stressor. You know, yeah. having kids is a big stress, but then having kids with trauma can sometimes you know, be a lot – of really stressful and triggering. So having a solid foundation really helped. But absolutely, like, you know, you're so right that people have different parenting strategies. And um, when we first started foster parenting – we kind of had to give each other feedback. So sometimes he'd be like, Hey, I think, you know, you're not prioritizing our relationship enough. And I would say the same to him because at the end of the day, we both believe it's best for the kids. If we have a really strong relationship, because if we are faltering or something, that's not going to be good. Cause then we're not going to be able to come to the kids at a place of, you know, like a strong foundation. And The kids also, I think, pick up on that. And then especially since a lot of times they're coming from environments where, you know, maybe their parents were together, maybe they weren't, but there was probably a lot of conflict. So we just feel like it's really important that those kids don't have to, like, re-see that conflict because that could really increase their stress levels, right? Even if it's, you know, not Ben and I thinking we're going to get divorced or something, but maybe that's how they're interpreting it. So we will have conflicts in front of them, just have disagreements and show them, like, hey, people can have a disagreement and not raise their voices or you know disagree but that doesn't have to be the end of it um but we're really choosy on what conversations we have in front of kids so you know if it's something really serious you know then we won't do that um but definitely we've had to i think also too like you said we hadn't seen each other be parents right So he turned out to be way more nurturing than I would have expected. And I turned out to actually be less nurturing than I would have thought I would be. And we don't fall into the traditional gender roles, which was very interesting. Um, And we kind of knew that a little bit before going into being foster parents. But it was just like really clear then at that point. Um, So that's been really interesting to navigate and to just get comfortable. I think like speaking personally for myself to be like, okay, You know, I realize I'm not as nurturing as maybe I thought I would be. Um, Or just in comparison to my partner, I'm not as nurturing as I thought I would be. Um, You know, how do I feel about that? Is there anything I want to improve on? Or do I just, you know, own how I am? It's been really fascinating, actually, because you get to know your partner in a new way.
1: Yeah. So as this is like a new, you know, challenge of a dynamic shift, Mm -hmm. are you guys still doing respite care or is your focus just solely now on foster care? Yeah, that's a great question. So we became
0: certified at the beginning of 2020 um, and started doing respite pretty much as soon as we were certified, but we became full-time foster parents in May to a 15-year-old girl who has since turned 16. Um, And we still do do respite care um, and we do it more so for the kids that we had done respite for before care before she came into our home because we already know them we know how that dynamic will work out and that's another thing to keep in mind too is sometimes it can be really hard for foster kids to be around other kids so in our home since she is the only child we know that that makes there be a lot less conflict than there would be if there was other kids all the time like she's expressed to us like she's not ready for another foster kid to be in the home um so she can do the short-term things where you know it's up to a week at a time um, but it is a different dynamic than when it was just us doing respite care, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you brought up the dynamic with other children because you do have nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you still have that continued relationship with the kids in, um, that you see through respite care. So kind of talk to me about what that di- what that dynamic is like and how you guys built that dynamic.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So... It's been interesting. It's been really interesting because I think, um, you know, stuff kind of has to shift a little bit, especially, you know, when you have kids with trauma. So we sat down actually, um, with our nieces and nephews who are around the same age as the kids that we do respite care for. And we had a conversation before we ever had a kid in the house and we were like, it's really important to us, you know, that any kid who is here does feel respected and, you know, um, we can't tolerate any, like, making fun of them or anything. And, you know, our nieces and nephews are good to kids, but just to make sure that we set a really clear boundary of what we wanted, we said we want everyone to feel welcome in our home and everyone to feel accepted. And, you know, we just can't tolerate any, like, meanness or anything. Um, but it is interesting because, you know, kids in foster care, I think a lot of the time, They don't feel like they really belong anywhere so it's been really important to us to make sure that she knows that she still belongs moon the foster kid in our home and when our nieces and nephews you know come around that um she knows you know she's still definitely part of our family and you know definitely valued um so we definitely like give her a heads up if other people are coming into our home and stuff like that um
1: Yeah, but kind of talk to me about has the relationship aspect with the kids with respite care, Mm -hmm. has that changed now that you have a kid in foster care at your house?
0: Yes, I would say so. Um, Just because I think being a full-time foster parent takes a lot more energy. So I had a lot more energy when it was just, you know, respite care and I knew it would just be a few days. And then also I have to balance out. Moon's needs with their needs and I assume that would be a little similar to how it would be um, if you already have your own biological kids um, and I think that's something that people don't think about a lot is that dynamic and I've heard different things um, of how families kind of navigate that and there's no right answer, right? It's different for every family but some families have said you know, I'm only going to have kids younger, uh, fo- uh, kids in foster care in my home that are younger than my biological kids um, and I just know, too, from people that I know, sometimes it doesn't always work out if you get older kids. Not to say that you shouldn't, but um, I feel like with Moon in our house, we feel comfortable having a biological child that's younger than her. If we were to have a child, I wouldn't have any concerns about um, her harming the child in any way. If anything, she would just um, be a huge asset, I think, honestly. And um, she would love to help out so it just really depends on the kid and but that's something that you're constantly trying to balance is the needs of you know all the kids in your home and the, you know your other family um, and just you know your partner's needs as well I would say too like my partner and I we try to do a good job of noticing when the other person's getting burnt out mm-hmm. and then offering help because um, this is something that we feel like in our home really we have to tag team and I know I don't know how single foster parents do it to be honest I know I'd that love sense. to I'd love to interview one soon um I've been trying to work on that um but you know there's so many meetings and appointments and anything so we try to just break that up and support each other when we can but I mean there'll be times where we both feel burnt out too and that's when we kind of ask our extended family to step in and they've been really supportive to be able to do that but yeah it's just all about balancing everyone's needs um and I've heard too sometimes I heard in like I read in one foster care book, it was like, um, you know, now is not your time. It's the time for the kid. You know, you can focus on yourself later. And I actually really disagree with that because if you're not making sure that you're a solid and you have enough energy and reserve to, you know, be a good caretaker, be a good parent, then that's not a service to the kid at
1: all. And I think that's why so many foster families burn out so quickly. Yeah. So... In regards to talking about that, like, what are some ways that you feel like you're able to implement in your life to make sure that you're not um, continually getting burnt out or when you are burnt out? Like, how do you kind of refresh?
0: Yeah. So exercise has been really huge for me. So I exercise five to six days a week and I make that a priority. Like, I absolutely cannot budge on that. You know, I can be flexible on how or when to exercise, but it just has to be done. And I think that's a really great example to show the kids in the home, too, you know, that it's important to exercise because a lot of times they're struggling with a lot of heavy mental challenges. And exercise can be like a good way to alleviate that somewhat. Um, So that's something my partner and I can also do together. We weight lift together four to five times a week so sometimes it's time for us to be together too so we've kind of like hit two birds with one stone per se and then sometimes too we'll go on hikes or or runs with our foster kid too so that really helps a lot um another thing is time away from the home so i know that like having a teen in care is easier for us to get some time away because she is allowed to spend up to eight hours a day alone you know that definitely doesn't happen Every week, even. But, you know, if I need to run an errand, it's really great. I can leave her. Younger kids, you can't do that. So we got lucky in that regard. And she's also allowed to spend the night at friends' houses or family members' houses. So sometimes my partner and I, Ben, we just need a night to ourselves. So luckily, you know, she can go spend the night at my mother in law's house or a friend's house. Um, so time away has been really big for us. Um, and then also I would say, uh, I just make my friendships still a huge priority because I realize they're so important to my mental health. So just knowing I have people I can talk to when I feel frustrated, that can maybe give me a different perspective is really important. Um, because I would say too, with foster care, sometimes foster parents have this idea that they need to make up for all the pain that was in a kid's life. And that's just one not possible and two just a really easy way to burn out so i try to do the best that i can every day but i know you know i'm not going to solve all her problems i can't take away all moon's pain you know all i can do is provide a safe place for her and an example of the best that i can of what a healthy relationship
1: looks like yeah i think that's great because you're going back to you know the savior complex that mm-hmm. we've previously discussed and the negative impact that has um uh, but also what can also be a negative impact is not prioritizing your partner in that relationship and Mm -hmm. hearing you discuss, you know, the things that you're doing solo with each other. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys learned that you weren't getting from each other? Or was that always on your forefront of making that a priority? Yeah, So it wasn't, I would say it
0: wasn't. And I think um, they call it the honeymoon period when you first become a foster parent, you know, you're like really gung ho. This is something that, you know, for most people, this is a six month process at minimum. So it's something you've definitely been looking forward to and anticipating, you know, getting all the training, getting all your paperwork done. And you're like, really glad to finally like take that step and actually get a kid in your home, right? Which is what you've been waiting for this whole time. So for us, we definitely had like a two month honeymoon period. And it's funny because Moon's honeymoon period, I feel like ended right when we did as well. So like Mm. the kid also has a honeymoon period with you. You're a new person. It's a new home, all of that. So the first two months we were kind of just like all going ho and everything. Um, And then all of us kind of had to like take a step back or just a pause, I would say. And we're like, okay, yeah, this is the, going to be the reality for the next, like, you know, however long. So, um, It wasn't something we always made a priority, but I think the longer we did it, the more priority it became. And we actually had our first night away, just the two of us, last week. So it's like seven months, more than seven months of being foster parents. Um, We would have a night away if she went to like a friend's house or something, but we didn't go away. But like my partner and I went away, you know, to a different city for a night. And it was just really great to like get out of town together and we made a rule too I was like let's not talk about anything serious foster parenting related you know let's just not and let's just take a break from it because it can be such a mental drain because there's so many layers to trauma and we're strategizing all the time like almost every day if not every day multiple times a day sometimes we're having conversations like okay we're noticing you know Moon does this when we do that like is there a way we can kind of make sure we're setting stuff up as healthy as we can for her to give her the opportunity to grow as much as she can. Mm -hmm. And it can be exhausting because you're going through and digging through and uncovering your own triggers and your own trauma at the same time as you're helping a kid try to work through their own. And especially with a teenager, I think, you know, there's a lot of mood swings and, you know, different times of year can be harder, or easier. So it just can feel really heavy sometimes. So Yeah, it's something that I know we're going to make a priority moving forward. But also just allowing each other to have our own alone time is huge too.
1: So kind of digging a little bit deeper, talk to me about a bad day Mm -hmm. as a foster parent. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it looks definitely different for everyone. I mean, the bad days for me are honestly the days that I don't feel like I have any reserve in terms of like, as a foster parent, I think it's – I've learned, at least for myself, it's best if I can kind of have this mentality of, like, at the end of the day, this none of this is really about me in terms of a child's behavior, right? So if I get a tone of voice that I perceive to be a little negative or disrespectful or, you know, even in action, right, like I feel like maybe I'm being ignored or – um disrespected it really I think for me I found my best days are when I can be like you know what this is is nothing about me and I'm also not going to assume and I clarify or I make jokes to show that like hey that was a little hurtful to me but you know I'm not being aggressive about it or too direct and um, you know stuff can keep moving on without us like spending a lot of time on things Um, so my really bad or my bad days I would say are days that I'm just like really tired or maybe I'm struggling with something in my own life um, and I don't have that reserve and I just take things too personally I think and then I can start thinking like oh if I heard what I thought was a bad tone of voice that means that maybe Moon doesn't want to talk to me all day or you know why is Moon being so disrespectful when a lot of the time I think kids in foster care have no idea how they're coming across and sometimes too like maybe I'm being a little too sensitive, right? Like that can definitely be on me as well. So the
1: days that are the hardest are when I don't have the biggest reserve. Yeah. I think that's, you know, really important to like catch yourself in that moment Mm -hmm. and to see, okay, well, how am I going to turn this around? But then able to seeing that it might just be that moment and not the entire day. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I also think is interesting as being someone that knows you pretty well, um, how I've seen it in your life. Um, but I'm just interested to see your perspective of it, but Mm -hmm. doing all of these classes prior to foster care, um, you know, you learned about trauma, you learned about parenting, all of these aspects. Um, do you feel like it's oftentimes maybe changed your dynamic with other family members or relationships such as friendships? Um, I'm really glad you asked me this Rachel actually like
0: all these light bulbs are going off for me yes 100% yes and that's what we heard too when we went through our foster parenting training as they told us like this is training that will impact every single relationship that you have because we all have trauma like every person has trauma you know whether it's major or minor trauma we all carry traumas with us and it's been a huge game changer for me just in I feel like it's made me grow a lot and um I'm able to see things, I think, more multi layered, And I think before I just had this narrative that like that I was kind of in the center of my own narrative, if that makes sense. Like I felt like everything was happening to me, you know, in a conversation or something like that. And now I'm able to take a step back and realize that like a lot of the time what's going on around me or even in conversation with someone, a lot of times that has nothing to do about me, right? A lot of times the interactions I'm having with kids in foster care in my home have more to do about the previous caretakers than they have to do about me, if that makes sense. And, you know, I'm just a step in their journey and, you know, they're looking through everything through the lens of like all the trauma that they've had and all the previous experiences they had. But the same with me too, right? Like I'm looking at them through the lens of just like my previous experiences, but then I've realized like how lacking that is on both sides and how clarification is just so important. So in all my relationships now, I try to clarify, I think a lot more than just assuming that what I'm interpreting is 100% correct. Even when I'm just like, I absolutely think this is what it has to be, right? Especially with teenagers, like sometimes you're like, absolutely, that has to be, you know, a disrespectful tone of voice, you know? Mm -hmm. like We all know what that sounds like, right? But a lot of times like these kids, they don't mean that, you know? And maybe that's just how they were talked to for years. They assume that's a normal way to get talked to. You know, or maybe they were just startled or, you know, just not feeling well in general and just coming across in a way that they aren't even trying to. And that was a huge, huge shifter for me is not making so many assumptions.
1: Yeah. So I think what you're saying is like before you thought relationships and your interactions were very black and white, but now it's more so shades of gray and you're asking for that clarification or you're clarifying yourself maybe too. Mm. And I feel like I've seen a lot more self-reflection on just interactions because I think when you're talking to a friend, you're not focused on, well, how is that perceived by the other person? Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about moon, sometimes, you know, you'll say to me, you'll be like, was this presented correctly? Should mm-hmm. I have clarified? Um, and I think that's huge, right? Because it creates a bigger um picture of how you're representing yourself or just clarifying it and the complex yeah it's very complex right I like what you're saying because I wouldn't
0: say it's so much like shades of gray but I'd say it's so multi-layered yeah and that's right and I think too a lot of times you know before I was a foster parent I didn't think so much of like how do I say this like it's I didn't realize how healing this would be for me and how growing this would be for me as a person, right? So it's like a lot of times we think, oh, these kids are going to come into our home. We're going to have a huge positive impact on their life. But really what it is a lot of the time is you growing as a person to be able to even have a positive impact, right? Or even sometimes a neutral impact, I would argue. So, yeah, I like what you're saying about that self-reflection piece because I feel like there's no way to do this. Well, unless you're self reflecting a lot and unless you're really comfortable being like, That could have gone better. Let me think about how I can do it. And I will go to Moon sometimes and be like, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. This would have been a better approach, I think. Or how do how do you think would be, have been a better approach? Because, you know, obviously that didn't go over well. How could I have done better in the future? And she'll sometimes say things too, like, Oh, you know, that's hurtful when you told me that. And, you know, a lot of times it's well, I'm never trying to be hurtful to her, right? But like sometimes I can be really blunt and that's been really eye-opening for me to be like, oh, okay, thank you for letting me know. I can see now how you would have felt bad about me saying that, you know, that wasn't my intention, but that's something I'm going to be working on. And I think that's really important when kids know that they can come to you and you're not going to blow up at them for them expressing a failure, a failure, maybe failure is not the right word, but you know, like something you could have done better a mistake that you made.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've kind of started this journey, but you're kind of, you know, you're past the honeymoon stage. What is something that you wish you knew at the very beginning? That's a great question, Rachel. Um,
0: There's a lot of things I wish I knew. Um, Okay. I would say my partner and I learned pretty quickly that we were good at a connecting with kids so when kids come into our home pretty quickly they can tell these are people that aren't going to hurt me or these are people that aren't likely to hurt me at least because it takes a long time to build trust but we're pretty good at getting kids to like laugh and we always ask them you know about themselves what they like to do like we try to connect with them on a very personal level and I think that speaks volumes to them and they start to relax like almost immediately in our home. And we have pets, too. So they see, oh, these pets are well cared for. You know, they t- they do take care of things. We have a bunch of plants. So I think it's just kind of like a calming environment for them. Houseplants are calming. It's <laughs> I'm, literally,
1: I'm literally laughing. <laughs> yeah, at she's like laughing. She plants. Um, you do like your plants. I do. little side comment. Um, people that have plants that are not doing so well on the verge of dying, um, Natasha will get those and nurse them back to life. (laughs) That's true. And I would
0: say just like get rid of them because it doesn't reflect well on the foster kid. Like looking around (laughs) your home, like, you know, they're going to be like, oh, they don't care about their plants so much. Um, So, yeah, we're really good at like connecting with kids. We're not so good at providing structure. And so I wish, and we tried to do that sort of at the beginning, but in foster parenting training to at least trauma-informed parenting, the TBRI training we did, trauma-based relational intervention, that's what that stands for. um, They really say, you know, focus on connecting first with the kid and then providing structure. So I think we kind of went overkill in interpreting that and we were just like connection, 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 Mm -hmm. connection. And then when it was like, oh, crap, like we really need to have structure and that could have avoided the situation or it would have let us know how to like move through the situation well um that's something that we've been struggling with is like how do we provide more structure and I think that also comes back to the fact that like 2020 was a really crazy year a lot of people lost a lot of that structure that they had you know she wasn't going into school moon wasn't going into school every day or like kids coming to respite right they had online school it was just like kind of crazy um and you know when moon came into our home we all sat down and we made house rules all together but then we kind of like sort of like we kind of enforce them at the beginning and then some of it slides so for example like her tv time and all of this and again we made these rules not thinking you know covid restrictions are going to last so long but i wish we had kept up with that a lot more because then we came into other situations where it was like oh, okay now this has been going on for weeks but how do we like reclaim that structure when we've kind of been ignoring it like that doesn't seem completely fair to her for us to turn do a 180 and be like all right now we're going to do all the structure So that's something we're trying to navigate right now. So if anyone has any tips on that, I would love to hear, to hear that.
1: Yeah. So when you talk about structure, are you talking about just like the day to day? um, This is what she needs to do, needs to get done. Is it, or are you talking about at 8 PM, you will be doing this?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So with teens, I think it's a little different. um, And especially too, if they do have contact with one or more parents, like, puts us in a really interesting position because we're not, we don't fully, like my partner and I, we both agree that we don't fully feel like a full 100% parent. And I'm sure some people listening might be, I don't know, have a lot of thoughts on that, which I welcome. I welcome all of them. But like what I'm talking about to a structure is even just like eating dinner at the same time every night. Like we're really bad at that. Or, um, you know, just letting her have, no more like expectations we have for like you're going to do your homework by this time or um, you, know, you can watch X amount of hours of TV a week and break that up how you want. Um, so or, or like, you know, here's the range of the time we'd like you to go to bed or, or like you to wake up. We've just been really bad at like making that consistent on a day to day basis or even just like if you do this, then this will happen. Right. Like if you don't turn in your homework then like here's the consequence that we've all agreed on together. We've been kind of bad at enforcing that. So area of growth for 2021 is more structure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as this podcast is, it's a progression. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. We're both learning how to be better um, supporters and advocates for these kids. I think that's huge. Um, I think it's a continual growth lesson. Um, So maybe structure is one of those for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I I mean, I think that, too, you know, we really do have to focus on, though, it really is a journey. Absolutely. And I I have realized,
0: too, that, you know, even if I did this for 20 years, I don't think I'd ever arrive, if that makes sense. Because each kid is so different. And also, you change as a person, too, right? Like, my partner and I, we've definitely changed a lot from the beginning of 2020 to now, both because of becoming foster parents, but also, like, all the other stuff that went on in our lives. So it's just everything's constantly shifting and changing. And I think you're just always trying to find that equilibrium and find that balance where you're meeting everyone's needs in the household. Mm-hmm. And as you know, too, like people's needs change, you know, throughout the year, like I had a surgery. So I was literally in bed for two weeks. You know, that really wasn't ideal for Moon or my partner or me. Right. But, you know, my needs were different then. And my I couldn't give as much to my partner or even to Moon. So just being aware of that, I think, is, is really important. And like you said, it's just you know, it's a journey.
1: It's one step at a right. time. We're never going to get there. Right. Right. So as this is a journey, um, what do you expect or what do you think our listeners um, are going to be able to hear in the next upcoming episodes? And where do you feel like this podcast is going?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Rachel, I think at the very beginning, right, we really set that precedent in our trailer. Of we really wanted this to be a podcast from diverse perspectives. And, I think that we've been able to do that, and I'm really proud of that. You know, we had Maddie, who um, grew up in the foster care system and actually became a social worker, share her story. Multiple people have told me they've cried listening to her episode. It's just really powerful. And then we also interviewed a multiracial Muslim family um, and their experiences raising kids, you know, with different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds in them. And then next up, we have um, a woman by the name of Kenesha E. Anthony. She is a firecracker she's amazing. Um, she's done so much. She grew up in the foster care system as well and really fell through the cracks. And she actually wrote a memoir about her time in the foster care system, but also her time becoming a foster care professional and reading back through her case files as a foster care professional, as someone who's actually you know written all those reports. So she's able to really dig into her own files and just see time and time again, how she fell through the cracks. And she's done a lot of advocacy work around foster care since then and her book really lays a foundation I think of why things aren't working and what steps we can to take things forward in ways that I haven't heard other people in the foster care system really talk about. And I think that's because it comes directly from her personal experience on both sides of the game. And then we'll also be speaking with Patty, who is Maddie's mom from episode one. She's a licensed therapist and she walks us through her journey with Maddie and also bringing in the background of her work in the counseling um, area. And that was really powerful to see her perspective of their relationship.
1: Yeah. I'm very excited for our listeners to hear those episodes. I think that they're very powerful. And I'm hoping to, like, you know, that we'll be able to bring stories of, like,
0: single foster parents, same-sex foster parents, um, more kids, right? Like, actually interviewing kids in foster care, um, which there's a lot of, like, legal tape and stuff around that that we have to get through. But – or, um, Rachel, I know, too, like, your work with – um moms in prison who have kids in foster care like you know it's our goal too to be able to talk to them as well so yeah there's a lot of exciting different ways we can approach this and we definitely have a lot of pans in the fire to say of um, different things and perspectives that we want to bring you
1: guys. No, absolutely. So, um, and as always, we're open to hearing comments or just any information that you guys, that you have to share with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to reach out to us on social media, um, whether that's our Instagram page at Just as Special or our website at justaspecial.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I think... Um, in this episode. It's really evident, right? I know I don't have all the answers to all the questions. You know, Rachel knows she doesn't have all the answers to all the questions too. So definitely, you know, feel free to give us your honest feedback about things and, you know, your expertise too, um, or your perspectives. We're
1: really open to hearing those. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited for this journey and we're glad to have listeners just like you.
0: Yep. All right. Don't forget to share just a special and talk to you guys next time. Thank you. That's a wrap. That's a
1: wrap.